0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom and I hope you enjoy this episode. for Matos, an explanation that you've never heard before. Medrash Yalkut. He starts off by quoting the Medrash. On the verse, Al-Pasuk, Achar ta'asef That after the war with Midian... Moshe Rabbeinu is going to be gathered unto his people. This is going to be the final act of Moshe Rabbeinu. After this war, he was going to leave the world. Amr lo baruchu says the medrash that God made the following deal with Moshe. If you prefer, you can live many years. Lo yiru Yisrael nekama ba'ayvehem, but the Jewish people will not merit to see vengeance against their enemies. And the nation of Midian shall not be conquered by the Jewish people. In other words, Hashem says to Moshe, If you stay in this world, if you choose that you would like to live long, that will be at the cost of the Jewish people avenging themselves from the Midianites. What's the connection? Uh, We'll have to give him a chance to explain all that. Right now he's just quoting the Medrash. Miyad Amar Moshe says Moshe, Better let the Jewish people conquer the Midianites and let the Jewish people experience the downfall of their enemies. that's the language of the Midrash, and the Zarohimsha's first question is, what's the connection? The I'd like to know: Moshe in Midian. What is Moshe and his life or death? have to do with the war against Midian. So, he goes straight into the words of the Kabbalists. <speaking in Hebrew> he quotes from the Kabbalists. He does not cite them. It's not really clear who. They found some similar source. But here's what the Kabbalists say. <speaking in Hebrew> Every king or minister, <speaking in Hebrew> that wants to go to war and take vengeance against a certain nation, Tzarech Sheyielo Ezechibur V'Kishur has to have some personal connection to that particular nation. Spiritually speaking, in order for anyone to defeat another nation, if the distance or the divide between them is so great, they cannot, they cannot be conquered. Kigon, for example... This war against Midian, it had to be led by Pinchas. Shabami B'nose Putiel, we know that Pinchas was a grandson of Yisro. He was also a, I guess you would say, one quarter Midianite. Or maybe even half, if his mother counts as a Midianite. Because just like Moshe married one of the daughters of Yisro, um, our sages understood that Elazar, the uh, mother of Pinchas, also, Elazar's wife, the mother of Pinchas, also married one of the daughters of Yisro. So, Asan the coming of Midian, you need Pinchas to go to war against Midian because some stranger would have no connection enough to overcome them, I guess, on a spiritual level, which would then allow the Jews to win the war on a uh, physical plane. Well, he's just replacing one Scyra with another Scyra. Oh, uh, he's just, he hasn't, we, we have to see how he resolves the question. We have to give him a chance. Right now, he's just quoting the, the Kabbalist. He's not answering the question yet. All right. David... Shabbat Meirus Moaviah. David, who is a descendant of Rus, asan n'kama Moav If you look in the Torah and the Navi, it describes David defeating the Moavites. Why? Because he was a descendant of Moav and he has some connection to Moav, and therefore he could overcome them. Yoshua, shayim Yosef, shenizgazel be'beis Potifar. Yoshua was a of the tribe of Yosef. Yosef was raised in the house of Potiphar. So that's why he was able to be married to someone from the other side. Yeshua was able to marry Rachav the Zona, the one who saved um, the spies. And the Gemara tells us that Yeshua ended up marrying her. So for him to be able to do that, he had to have this being the descendant of Yosef, who was who had this connection to that level of immorality and overcoming it, mm-hmm. allowing Yeshua to then be a her. V'hi yoda'azos, and uh, she knowing this, meaning Yeshua, because he was on that level, asa ba Amalek. that's why Moshe sends Yeshua to go to war against Amalek. So he says, the amalek ubilam, these two words, Amalek and Bilam, Gematri are the same numerical value as B'mitzrayim. They're the same numerical value. Ki B'mitzrayim, bekoach Amalek, Liten Again, we haven't explained any of this, we're just reading what the Kabbalists say, that Amalek can take on different forms, even though um, on a... Uh, um, physical plane. Amalek is the son of Eliphaz, the son of Esav, but Amalek is really anyone who harbors such deep hatred for the Jewish people that it goes beyond any kind of logic. And that's why we say that the uh, Nazis, they were they were the Amalekites. Even if you could trace back any of these people and find that they're not descendants of Amalek, that would still make them Amalekites because they had a hatred that went beyond anything logical or anything that would make sense in the physical world. In the same way, Bilam he has such hatred for the Jewish people in Mitzrayim. As the Gemara tells us, there were three who were in that council. Bilam was the one who was pushing and driving Paro to destroy the Jewish people and to throw the babies in the water and all these other extreme decrees. So Amalek and Bilam appeared together in Mitzrayim. And we're told that when the Jewish people leave Mitzrayim, Amalek shows up. From where did he come? And the Medrash tells us that Amalek had been convening with Bilam and went to go to war against the Jewish people. Amalek, who Rosh Amalek, he is the head, the worst, the leader of the other side, the klipas literally being husks. He is the head of all the husks, of all the shells, of the forces of evil. Um, Because after the Jewish people conquer, Sichon and Og and the Jewish people were supposed to go into the land, um, Yisrael Ksiv, um, Reishis Goyim Amalek, that's where Bilam invokes, and he says, Reishis Goyim Amalek, that's a verse in Parshas Balak, because um, that's the Bilam Amalek connection, which is going to be fought by this war with Pinchas. Ad Kam Shona, that's what the Kabbalists say. Okay, now, the, he's not explaining all the points that the Kabbalists are going to ha- have discussed here. But the main point here is that in order for a person, a, a Jew, to be able to overcome a certain peoples who are our enemies, there has to be some deeper connection there, and maybe even some source there. We've discussed this a little bit before with the Parshas Vayishlach, the Haftorah for Parshas Vayishlach, is the book of Ovadia. It's the, uh, one of the only two times that we read an entire book as a Haftorah. Let's see if anyone can think of the Yom other one. Yonah and Yom Kippur, right? But uh, Ovadia, even though technically it's only one-twelfth of a book, because it's Treyasar, but we read the book of Ovadia. Why? Because Ovadia was a Ger. He was a convert. He was the only uh, Ger who was himself a Navi. And his prophecy is all about the downfall of Esau. And in Parsons by Yishnach, we describe the Asaph uh, and his family and all the things which they did. So the appropriate Haftorah for that is um, the book of Ovadia, which describes the downfall of Esau, which is foretold by Ovadia, who was a Ger, a descendant of Esau. So it has to come from there. It has to come from Esau's own descent comes the force or the foretelling of the destruction of Esau. Now he's going to explain why that is, but that's an idea we've seen before. But he's trying to use that to explain why it is that it has to be Pinchas who has to lead the war against Midian. Did he have a war before he became Jewish or he had it prior to there? No, Ovadia only becomes a a Navi once he's a Jew. But I'd like to know what's the reason. What is the reason why you need that the king or the leader should be someone who has a connection to that nation in order to take vengeance? Why can't any Jew lead the vengeance against our enemies? So he goes to a place I don't think anyone would have dreamed to go to. The Halachas of Sefer Torah. The b'shulchan aruch Arachayim, there's a Halacha in Shulchan Arachayim, Tashmichei Kedusha, that objects that are serving something which is Kodesh, Kagon Tikshel Tefillin, your Tefillin bag, Mm or or the case for the Mezuzah, u'sfarim, or the case, the bookshelves that hold Svarim, Kedusha, they also have holiness, but sarah Gonzam, and they need to go to Ganiza, They need to go to Shemus. Many people don't realize, Book that, bookcases? Uh, well, bookcases is a debate, we'll see. But uh, seemingly, yeah, on a simple level, the bookcases need to, need to go to uh, um, there there's some debate about that, whether it applies. But certainly any box or thing, people don't realize that when if you buy a set of Svarin, if you buy it with those sleeves. So there are many opinions who hold that if as soon as you get home, you throw out the sleeves, you could throw it straight in the garbage. But if you put the books on the shelf in the sleeve, as if they are still meant to be there to protect the books and to keep them together, then you've decided and you've declared it to be a Tashmish of Kedusha, and those sleeves that hold the books need to go into Shemus. Because they are Tashmishai Kedusha. Tashmishai Kedusha means they are objects meant to serve something holy. So why is it that sitzes don't need to be... Uh... Okay, so tzitzes are tashmiche mitzvah, which is different than tashmisha kedusha, because tzitzes themselves don't have kedusha. For example, you can take tzitzes into the bathroom and, and things like that, so they're considered an object of a mitzvah. So while the mitzvah itself should be treated with dignity and not just thrown in the garbage, but tashmisha mitzvah, things that are used for... Uh, the mitzvah, have no holiness in them at all. So, for example, if tzitzes are worn out, you could remove the tzitzes from the baget and throw the baget itself into the garbage while the tzitzes should be wrapped nicely and not thrown directly into the garbage but should be placed into a plastic bag and shown some dignity. But it still doesn't have the status of Tashmiche Kedusha, which are things which have intrinsic Kedusha, such as sfarim or mezuzahs and tefillin and things like that. Sfarim, you mean sfarim that have Hashem's name uh, for do not. Well, anything that, would, anything that would qualify as Shemos. Right. Uh, so that's the halacha. That um, Tashmiche Kedusha also have Kedusha and they have to be um, um, buried. In fact, there was a great rabbi who insisted that they should make his uh, casket out of the uh, wood of his bookshelves. Um, but, but I would recommend that only for someone who's actually used those books. T- uh, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, they, 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 won't, um, they won't speak well for the person. But Ocha, furthermore, there's another halacha. The Aron HaBanui Bechoma. That if there's a um, Aron HaKodesh, meaning a, a bureau or a um, bookshelf that's <laughs> built into the wall, is If it's actually not good, meaning it's ruining the books, or ruining the Svarim, if it's not built in a way, it's built into the wall, and it allows mold or mildew to get into the Svarim, the halacha is, it has no holiness. If it's not supporting or protecting the Svarim, it has no holiness. Upirosh ha the of Ram explains the lochala of miikara that it never gets the status of holiness. The lo mikri tashmish today because it's not called something which is protecting or helping the books uh, or the svarim. Elamazik today it's actually destroying or it is to the detriment of the svarim. It is a negative force to for the svarim and therefore it has no kedusha adkan That's the halacha in Hilchas Sefer Torah. The sages of truth, that's a, another term for the Kabbalists, they tell us. and shaman is all the great souls, every one of the holy souls, Hoya Klipos, is originally surrounded or contained or uh, I wouldn't use the word kidnapped, but uh, taken by the husks, by the other side. It's true of every great soul that you can mention. He gives some examples. Kagon Avraham, Mi tarach. Abraham. Avraham, his soul, was born to Terach as if the other side was trying to steal Avraham and keep him from becoming who he was supposed to become. So they found not just some random guy of that generation, but the um, the czar of uh, of idol-making of that time. V'chein David, Hayabah Moab. David's soul was hidden in the realm of Moab. That's, um, that's from his grandmother, Rus. And she herself would take you back to the story of Lot and his daughters. as it says in Tehillim, um, written by David, Matsasi David Avdi, I found my servant David. And the Medrash tells us, Heichan Matzasi in Sodom, according to one explanation, that's why the, um, the Lot is saved, because of David, who is to come from him. M'chein Pinchas, Benos Putiel, Pinchas is a grandson of Yisro. M'chein Yeshua, Yosef, Shalakach Asnas Bas and Yeshua comes from Yosef, who marries the daughter of uh, Potiphar and his wife, which even if you learn that she might not have been the original daughter but a descendant of the house of Yaakov even if you take that medrash nevertheless that was stolen and taken to the darkest of places and raised by the most um, evil woman that Yosef encounters and furthermore Yeshua is going to end up marrying Rachav to complete his other half the dacha Nukva, Pala Gufa, because a man without the woman is only half a person. So the completion of his soul—imagine that—the completion of the soul of Yehoshua is Rachav But she's special <coughs> because she contributes to the saving of the Jewish people. That's right. But uh, where does she come from? That's that's what he's focused on. Is that she was really a very special holy person? Yeshua wasn't just going to marry her in gratitude, but he saw that despite the circumstances and the life that she faced, she was in fact a very holy person. Which just goes to prove that the greatest of the souls are hidden sometimes in the darkest of places. The Cain, if so, says these Zereshimshon. How you saw I might have thought. We know that before we remove all the holy sparks, before we take the Kedusha from a certain nation, we're not allowed to go to war against that nation. If there is some plan that God has for this nation in the future to bring out some great soul, so Hashem tells us, don't go to war with them, go around. Mu and stava mosshe that 's why in the turred it says Moshe was commanded Shalo lassus Mohamed a You can't go to war against Ammon and Moab. And the Gemara tells us, that Rus is going to come from Moab, and we're assuming that if the Jews go to war with Moab, there would be no Moab left, and David would never have been born. And if the Jews go to war with Ammon, there would be no Naamah, the wife of Shlom Amalech, the mother of Rechavam, and the whole line of the house of David would come from her. And uh, eventually Mashiach ben David would, would issue from, from that line. And so Hashem says you can't go to war against them until we can extract that holiness, those souls. Is that why the Klai Yisrael and the Midbar have to go around Mount Seir? Right. And not engage Esau? Right. And not engage them? Right. Exactly. So he says, But then, even after you take these apreidos the which literally means the uh, birds, but it's a, meta- a metaphor for <coughs> for the uh, for um, the two um, women, Mo, uh, Rus and Naomi. Then I might have argued, you also can go to war against them. So he says, but then these nations should be like the bookshelf, like the book sleeves for that holiness. That they, they contained, or they were the vessels to have this great holy soul. In which case, they should have the status of the objects that were used to protect and hold something holy. They need to be treated and disposed of with dignity. They need to be hidden in the ground and not destroyed and just wiped out wantonly. But that depends. It depends on what kind of bookcase it was. But you could argue... If this was the bookshelf that was bringing harm to the books, if this was a bag that was moldy or caught bringing mildew to the tefillin to or to the mezuzah, then then they weren't referred to as objects that are supporting or helping the Kedusha. So the question is, the people the peoples that are holding and containing who are the custodians of these souls, are they for its benefit or to its detriment? And furthermore, they were fighting to keep this soul from coming into the world. So who can tell us? Who can inform us as to whether or not these souls were helped or um, withheld? For, by, uh, H- harmed. H- harmed by yeah. being in that those husks might have caused harm to that spark. Maybe they were protecting it. So we That's why. That's why it has to be that only that spark, that person who issues from that people, he can do it. It's because the Kedusha in him, that spark in him, somehow he feels, if in other words, if he has a good feeling towards that nation, that means that within him his soul is telling him that he benefited from being a descendant of those people. But if he feels a hatred or animosity towards that person, that means that his soul is telling him that these people were actually holding him back. So he says, that spark can tell that whether they were causing damage or withholding him from doing the mitzvah. Now, interestingly for this, so this is the, Zerah Shimshon is a Makubal, But what's, sometimes you have people who are familiar with the realm of Kabbalah, but but they're not so familiar with the other realms of pshat and halacha and things like that. And so it limits them, and sometimes they'll end up saying things in the realm of Kabbalah that go against the pshat in the realm of halacha. That's why it's so incredible when you have someone like uh, um, the Benish Chai. The Benesh Chai was considered the greatest in his generation in Kabbalah, while at the same time being the greatest in his generation in halacha. And, and in Agada and things like, I mean, the, what the Ben Chai was to his generation is hard to imagine. But that's the reason why he's spoken of with such esteem, is because he wasn't just in one, on one track. He was of the greatest in almost every track in Torah. So he, he says, he said, I hear the Zarah is gonna swing us back into the realm of Allah and he quotes the Shulchan Aruch HaKhoshim Mishpat, Shamazik Mamon if someone damages someone else, But he doesn't know what damage he caused. So the victim, he can swear as to what the damage was. And he can collect. If I took a box, I took a jewelry box that belongs to you, and I threw it into the sea, I don't know how much damage I caused you. So the halacha is: a you burn them in fire. So if the victim claims that they had a pearl necklace in there that was worth ten thousand dollars, you owe ten thousand dollars. Anything the Ammonis believed. Now, obviously, there's a shavua involved. You have to make an oath. Otherwise, we're afraid people will just say whatever they want. So we have to bring some level of accountability and make that person take an oath. It's not just an oath, you have to swear an oath in Hashem's name, right? Yeah, well, that's the whatever the Din Shavua is, right. in this case. But, that person is believed because people know themselves, and they're believed as to what kind of damage or harm was caused them. So he's saying, using that halacha, we, the Jewish people, we don't know what damage was caused... But the soul, the spark that was, came out of that place knows and feels the experience that he went through. He says, <laughs> But if that spark, that soul which escaped from there, doesn't, or doesn't feel that want or need to go to war, in case Zeusimon, that's a sign, that he was not harmed by being in that place that shall also anitzik then the entire generation of that spark, or atzadik, or that tzadik, are prohibited from taking vengeance against those people. on the contrary, Asatov lador hazeh, because those people, we have to actually show gratitude to that, to, to, the, um, that generation is to show gratitude, that they kept this soul safe to provide it for our generation. Then you could say that the husk did not cause damage to the holiness. And we have to look at those people as the bookcase that held this holy book. It's interesting that by Mitzrayim we also say that there should be a little bit of hakorasatov that they, even though they were so horrible to us, but nevertheless. They kept us, and, and right? They, but there, we had we there. There, the question is: we did have a benefit, right? But they weren't intending for that benefit. It's That's uh, where you run into right. a, a Hashem fun had thing. to take him, take us out himself to do that, and it wasn't it wasn't like it wasn't like a pinchas, right? Well, but the kind of was because you see, Moshe, Moshe is also raised in the house same. of Paro, uh-huh. so. Right. It, it's but, but I'm saying this was would fit, right. that would Be another reason behind the scenes of, of right. why Mitzrayim maybe was. Why, my, my, we, right, we, we, we do punish them, Hashem punishes them, which is kind of what you're saying, but we have that sense of, that mixed feeling of gratitude. He right. says, and the proof for this is, he's repeating his point, but he's making it clear, that the spark has to demand vengeance. And if that spark doesn't demand vengeance, that means that the rest of us shouldn't feel that way. So the Jewish people need to go take vengeance against Midian. They caused the Jewish people to sin. But Moshe was raised by the Midianites. And he married a woman from there. That's why Hashem has to command Moshe to do it. That the fact that they were holding on to this great soul, we would assume that that's referring to both Moshe and Moshe's wife Zipporah. Moshe If Moshe would not have been around had Moshe died first, the Jewish people couldn't take vengeance, even the Pinchas may have felt it, but if Moshe doesn't feel that need for vengeance, that entire generation, if they would have, if Moshe would have left the world without taking vengeance from Miriam, they would have had to be concerned that, um, that Moshe saw Midianites as the people who did, um, and work for the positive. That's why Hashem says to them, you need to tell the Jewish people that whatever souls they were holding on to was because they were trying to keep them from you, and they were trying to cause harm. And even though Moshe escaped from it, and Moshe's wife Tzipora, maybe Yisra himself escaped from that, but that wasn't because of the Midianites wanting to protect. Then you can die. Once you've died the Jewish people would not be able to take vengeance so he's understanding it's not that Hashem is saying to Moshe after you do this then you're going to die he's learning it's the other way Moshe Rabbeinu needs to die but if Moshe Rabbeinu dies the Jewish people will have to be concerned that maybe Moshe did have a positive perspective towards Midian which would force them to have a positive perspective towards Miriam and they would, not longer, they would no longer be allowed to go to war even if Pinchas would have felt something negative so Hashem says to him, it's you and Pinchas. I want you to send the Jewish people to war. Pinchas actually leads the war. And the, the fact that both of them felt like they had escaped from there after an attempted harm on the part of the Midianites, that allows the Jews to go to war against Midian." I have two questions. First is, what happened to HaKalat I mean, you say Moshe didn't you know, hit the water to turn it to blood, and he didn't do it for Tzvardea because he, he had HaKalat for for the water that saved him. What about Hakaret Litov for having his wife there, for keep, keeping him safe until he needed to come to... to back well, even you know, I. Th- this is the way I understand it. You know, we, we have a whole uh, Pesach night where we celebrate. We do, the destruction of the Egyptians. The question is, it says in the Torah that we're supposed to uh, appreciate... Uh, the, the Egyptians, and the low society Mitzri, don't despise them, because you were strangers in their land and they hosted you. So uh, the way I understand that is that when we talk about appreciating people who um, hosted you, even if they caused you harm, let's take for, let's create an example. Let's say a person is stuck, what? By by lava, yeah, yeah. yeah. So ha, ha, th- this is the way you have to understand. Let's say you stay at someone's house. Um, you you. Uh, this is a strange example, but l- work with me here. Let's say you have to stay somewhere. Um, overnight, and uh, you don't have a place to stay, and so someone makes arrangements for you to stay at a house. And so what happens is, it's this so is strange, but just work with me here, the person invites you into their house, takes you down to the basement, and says, this is your room, sends you into the room, and locks you in. You turn on the light, and there is nothing on the floor except a pitcher of water and a pile of straw. Now, no one has slept on a pile of straw in a hundred years, but yet somehow you are being told that you should sleep here overnight on this pile of straw, and then in the morning, after your you take your achy bones, after sleeping overnight, basically on the hard floor, they open the door and they say, now get out of my house. Appreciate or not appreciate? If you stormy me outside, you so so you have to appreciate the amount of appreciation that's expected for that amount of hosting that this person did. But that doesn't mean that you should marry your children to their children. So... And when we talk about gratitude, it means you you still have to think about and appreciate this person for what they've done, but if they've caused you harm and led you on to believe that you were going to have something and instead you had something else. So when we talk about the Egyptians, we don't, the Torah tells us, that a third generation Egyptian, we are required to allow in, while an Ammonite and a Moabite, we don't allow them in at all, the men, the women are fine, but the, the men we don't allow in ever, uh, and Amalek, we don't accept Gerim from them. But with the Egyptians, we appreciate them enough that their first generation was still going to reject. And the second generation, the third generation, when once they've uh, gone a certain distance, we can now say, up to this point, you're far enough from being an Egyptian. We're talking about the, the third generation Jew. That means that the first generation converted and they can't marry a regular Jew, then the second generation, and then the third generation Jew, which is someone who was uh, born and uh, their grandparents were Jewish. We, there, we have enough gratitude to the Egyptians to allow that. And it's a mistake that many people make when they say that, you know, you're supposed to have gratitude to someone who hosted you, even if they did something bad for you. And that's not true. You have to have a certain amount of gratitude. You have to balance that gratitude because even if someone did something bad to you, if they also did something good for you, you have to continue to appreciate that good to a certain extent. If the first generation mystery wasn't allowed to marry a Jew. And the second generation mystery wasn't allowed to marry a Jew. How can there be a third generation that was a Jew? Uh, they would have to marry a fellow Jew. Egyptian convert would be the simplest way to do it. And then, of course, you have a long discussion in the Gemara as to who else they can marry. Can they marry Mamzerim? That would make their family Mamzerim. Can they marry other Gerim from other nations? This is a a long discussion. But there's no shortage of whom they can marry. They just can't marry Kohen, Levi, Yisrael. That's for sure. Is there a difference between gratitude and and Nekama? You're talking about going to war. So do we find examples in the Torah where you're you're not allowed to go to war against a previous generation that did wrong to you? What do do you mean? Are there any... Can can a nation go to war against another nation for something that was done in previous generations? Well, if you're supposed to... um, If you can't despise them then you certainly wouldn't be able to... Uh, if we're supposed to show, show gratitude to the Egyptians, we certainly shouldn't go to war with the Egyptians just for the sake of going to war. Meaning if they attack us, we can defend ourselves. But you wouldn't be allowed to uh, punish them for what they've done if the feeling that we're supposed to have towards them is gratitude. But what we're, we're saying is that, uh, uh, that gratitude has, also has its definitions. and Many people make the mistake of saying... Or trying to compare, I, I've heard this argument many times. Well, yeah, this person harmed you, you know, <laughs> parents who brought harm to their children. And people say, well, you know, you have to show them gratitude and love because of... So, now, most, many people feel like their parents um, but, uh, um, you know, caused them. But we're talking about in a situation where there was actual you know, abuse and uh, that kind of thing. So, many people say, well, even the Egyptians, you have to show gratitude. Now, you do have to show gratitude to the extent of what they might have, might have done but that doesn't mean that you erase the negatives and show the same kind of gratitude that someone else would have towards a parent um, that uh, was uh, a somewhat decent parent and and it could be even with parents the the level of gratitude should depend on how much they gave of themselves and how much they but to say that just because they hosted you like the Egyptians so therefore you have to have an equal amount that's, that's not necessarily true all right, uh, we'll uh, um, leave the rest of this. And mitzvashan. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.